Welcome back to Fleshing It Out. This shame series is all about sex. And I'm not going to lie, for me, it started out feeling awkward, but by the end, I think it was one of my favorites because it really goes to show how much we need to normalize conversations around this. And so in this series, we talk about everything from things being awkward to trauma to things you can do to spice it up. And so I encourage you to listen to all the episodes, but of course, be mindful for what's right for you. If anything is triggering, please seek out professional help. We also have some great VIPs on our website that can help starting to unpack a little bit of that. So you can find them on samanthaspittle.com slash VIPs. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kira Flato. She bravely shares her story of a sexual assault she experienced while she was in high school. And Not only do we address that, but we talk about what is life like after that? What does sex look like after that? And I'm grateful for her willingness and courage to talk about this. Uh, This is a highly sensitive subject. And so, of course, if this is triggering in any way, uh, please wait till you're at a place where you can listen to this. But I'm so grateful for her willingness to share And I hope that you can find healing and encouragement because as she says, you are not dealing with it, you're learning, you're growing, and there's happiness on the other side. So join Kira and I as we flesh it out. Something that I was thinking about before our conversation is I've had a couple friends that have had just you know, the, the, the phone call, you get the phone call and I drop to my knees hearing the news. And then I've had my own life experience now where my world was crumbled. And I, the common theme in those different events for me was this feeling of how do we move on from here? Like, I remember saying to my mom, like, how will my friend ever be good? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, like you just, it stops you in your tracks. And I think that, you know, as we approach sex and everything, For me, you know, we've talked about sexual abuse um, on the podcast over trauma. And then, of course, you know, we've touched on it here with our talks around sex. And, you know, it's this thing that's supposed to be amazing and the way we find connection, but there's so much brokenness through, you know, trauma and abuse. And so I appreciate you coming on today to talk about these hard things. You know, this, as you said before, there's like this juxtaposition of, the trauma, but then also this wanting it to be a really good thing. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a strange experience when you have had sex used against you Mm -hmm. in an unhealthy relationship and you find yourself in a place of like, that's all I have to offer is my Mm -hmm. body. And then getting into a relationship where that's not the case. And a human like fully sees you for who you are. And you Mm. don't like, it was really hard for me to learn that. Like if my partner wants sex, I don't have to want it. And I can say like, I'm not in the mood or like, I, I just don't want to right now. Right. Like that was a really hard boundary for me to learn because in my bad relationship, my abusive, it was abusive physically. It was abusive verbally. It was abusive, abusive mentally. And it got to the point where I was like, I have to have sex with him because that's what he wants. Number one. And number two, that's, that's how he will stay. Mm -hmm. Right. That's how he will stay. And then getting to the point in new relationships where, you know, I've had some situations where 
I haven't wanted to have sex with my partner, but I've done it anyways. And then afterwards, I'm just like in this bad mood and, or like, just like in a strange place mentally. And it kind of like takes me back to that, like abusive relationship and like my partner being like, what's like, are you okay? Like, did I do something wrong? What's going on? And having to like be blunt and be honest and be like, I just like, didn't really, I don't know. I just like, wasn't in the mood. And then having to have my partner be like, Oh, like, Oh my gosh, you should have said that. Like, I feel terrible now. Like I would not have done that had I known that. And just having to learn that that's a thing that I can say is Mm -hmm. that I don't want to do that. Um, But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to want to do it maybe 10 minutes from now or uh, next year, you know, like whatever the time frame is, like, it's just in this moment, it doesn't feel good in my body. And like, that goes back to having to trust my body, which is a very difficult thing as a trauma survivor of like believing yourself and understanding your gut and like trusting that your body knows what it's doing. And like, I mean, it's been what, almost 15 years since my assault and kidnapping. And like, I still have moments where my body reacts to things and I'm like, why are you doing that? And then I'm like, Oh, 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 you still remember. Like you still know what happened and like are trying to protect me from that happening again. Well, I would love to have you introduce yourself and um, so everyone can hear from you. And of course, hear more about your story. Cause I know that you have um, done so much of the hard work and just being able to talk about it today. And I, I always say this, but I say it again, you know, not everyone is meant to share their stories publicly. And I just think, you know, for those who can, I'm so incredibly grateful because, you know, it just helps us learn more, whether it's through our own traumas and to walk through it, you know, to be that roadmap um, and just help also people support people in their life. So just truly thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Kira Flato. I work as a COO for a couple of different businesses. Um, I'm located in Denver, Colorado, but I'm originally from a very small town in Montana. Um, important things that I always make sure people know about me. Um, I am the mom of a tripod dog who's back here sleeping on my bed for those that can't actually see that isn't helpful, but um, I am a tripod dog mom. I'm an Enneagram three. I love Moscow mules and white wine. And um, I always say that I speak a foreign language because I am very fluent in hockey. I'm obsessed with the NHL and the Colorado abs. So if I am not working, you can find me um, parked on my couch watching the abs. So that's um, a little bit about me. I, um, like I said, grew up in a very small town in Montana. It was less than 3,000 people, uh, northeastern corner, basically Canada. So if I say any words that you're like, are you Canadian? No, but basically, <laughs> basically Canadian. So um, I grew up in a split household. Um, I lived with my mother and my dad, who is actually my stepdad, but I don't think I've ever once in my life called him my stepdad. Um, my DNA dad has never really been involved in my life very much. Um, but I am very involved with my grandparents and my aunt on that side of the family. And, um, I have a younger sister, 
as well, who's seven years younger than me. So there's a bit of an age gap there, which was really fun when I was in high school and she was at the age where she just like wanted to hang out with her sister all the time. Um, my, a little bit just like background information on the trauma that I bring to this conversation today. Um, I was kidnapped and sexually assaulted by a, um, ex-boyfriend at the time, my junior year of high school. Um, actually it was like graduation weekend for the seniors that year. And I was a junior. Um, I was taken in the middle of the night from my house and was taken to a wide open field behind our high school where um, I was assaulted in many ways. Um, I then was put back in the car um, and I thought I was getting taken home. And I made the comment that I can't believe I ever trusted you to him, which was when he slammed on the brakes, turned around and drove even further out of town to our dump. Um, And that was the moment that I really thought I was going to die that night. Um, that I was going to be left at the dump and that um, my father is a police officer. Um, And I was fairly certain that um, one of my dad's officers would find me the next day, whoever um, was working the day shift. And we're getting there, people. (laughs) Um, We can take a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a very harrowing experience in my life. Um, I was not believed by very Mm. many people in my hometown, Um, even though I had bruises on my body of his, where his hands threw me up against the car or held me down. um, He was a preacher's son. So um, in our small town, there was a lot of, not believing that he could ever do something like that. He was um, an athlete. He was on a scholarship, an athletic scholarship in college. Um, And there was just this sense of thinking that I was doing this for attention. Um, A lot of people thought that. And um, I ended up having to get a restraining order against him. Um, And then a few months later, even though I had the restraining order, um, I went to take a friend home one night who was over at my house. Um, and I came outside and he was outside of my house. Um, it was probably like midnight, 1am. Um, my younger sister had saw him out the window, woke up my mother and called my father. Um, and so he broke his, broke his restraining order. And, um, to this day, I still have no idea why he was outside of my house that night or what he wanted to do. Um, I kind of like came around my mother's vehicle where he was standing on the other side of it. I asked him what he was doing and he didn't say anything. And he just like took off running. Um, And the reason they were able to find him that night actually is because someone in my small town noticed someone running through the cemetery, which was very near my house and like thought it was weird. And like, was like thought that they were maybe like, fucking up the cemetery or something. And so like call the police to be like, someone's fooling around in the cemetery, you know, small towns, everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody's calling the police for everything. Um, And so that's actually how they were able to track his movements Mm -hmm. um, and ended up finding him that night. But um, yeah, so that happened um, in 
May of 2008. Um, and I did not see a therapist or deal with this in any way, shape or form, um, until it would have been middle of 2017, I believe, um, is when I finally started therapy. Um, so almost 10 years later, I did a lot of just pushing it down, um, and not believing part of it myself, um, because so many other people didn't believe me. Mm. Um, and so now I've been in therapy ever since. And um, every week is a new journey in therapy of what I'm going to uncover and what things in my life are triggered by that experience and are triggered by by many, many more. Kira, mm. thank you so much for sharing. And um, I just thank you for trusting me to to talk about this and I'm so sorry it happened to you and I'm extremely sorry. No one believed you. And I just, I'm glad that we can talk about it today because I know that unfortunately you're not alone and um, I'm glad that you have embarked on your healing journey. And, you know, I think those first 10 years were also a part of that too, you know, because it's survival mode. It's, it's definitely doing what you need to. I don't think I would have got as much out of therapy had Mm -hmm. I started it right away. Um, I'm definitely a giant proponent of therapy. And I think that everyone should be required to go to therapy. Um, And even like, I know there's people that might listen to this and might think like, oh, I don't have anything to talk to a therapist about. And then you get to a therapist and you're like, oh, wait, I actually have so many things. So many. (laughs) Um, So, so many things, the amount of like times I've gone to a therapy appointment being like, everything's going great. Like, I don't really know what we're going to talk about. And then I leave 60 minutes later sobbing because I've uncovered yet another part of my life that I, um, need to explore and heal. And, um, I don't like saying deal with, this is actually something that, um, my current partner who's so wonderful and so loving, um, has taught me, uh, when we first got together. And I would have instances of trauma triggers or mm-hmm. um, I also suffer from anxiety, depression. I have PTSD from my experience, mm-hmm. um, which really affects my sleep. Um, I have mm-hmm. really bad nightmares. Um, and I, I, if I had a dollar for every time my partner has had to like wake me up in the middle of the night from screaming or thrashing or something like that. I would have no student loans. So that just tells you how many times that has happened. Um, But at the very beginning of our relationship, um, I would overly apologize. Mm -hmm. And I do this in my life anyways. Um, I think a lot of women do it in their lives. Um, I would overly apologize about everything. I'd be like, I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. I'm so sorry you have to deal with me. I'm so sorry this is happening. Um, And one of the times that I had said, I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. Um, I'm trying to work on it. Uh, he was like, I don't want to ever hear you say that I'm dealing with this again, because that makes it sound like I don't want to be doing it and that I don't want to be here for you. And I don't want to be showing up and I don't want to help you get through what you're going through. I am choosing to be here and I'm choosing to be with you and I'm choosing to hold you while you're going through all this terrible stuff and working on it and healing yourself and healing your body. And so I'm not dealing with it. I'm choosing it and I'm choosing you. And so don't ever apologize for me having to deal with it. 
And um, that has really stuck with me. And so oftentimes when I go to be like, I'm sorry, you're dealing with this. I'm like, oh, nope, don't use that. Don't use that. It's not dealing with. Um, So yeah, that's a a kind of a little lesson that I'm still trying to remember that we're not dealing with things. We're just working on them and um, healing and getting better. And, um, you know, it's not easy. Like there's plenty of days where, I cry because of how someone else's decision has affected my life and how I will never truly be healed fully. Mm -hmm. I will never go back to what my life used to be. Um, I recently met with a a very recent sexual assault victim, um, which was very difficult. And Mm -hmm. I just had to have the conversation of like, there is no going back. Like Mm -hmm. there is two parts of your life. There is before the trauma and there's after the trauma and you can't ever go back to the before. Mm -hmm. And you just have to learn how to make the after the best it can be. Um, And that's, that was the, the main message I brought to her. And I was like, I hope you can look at me as an example of someone who, went through a really terrible sexual assault, but is still here, has a good job, has a good life, has a vibrant and healthy sex life, has a great partner. Like I have all the things that you would not expect someone who went through what I went through to have. Um, And I am very vocal on social media um, about my trauma and about what's happened to me um, because I just want everyone to know that there is life after the trauma and it's not always easy but we just do our best every day definitely and i mean that and that pretty much sums up um you know i guess this whole conversation because it's these life life altering moments you know and sometimes um i uh, one of my past guests on last month for trauma uh therapist tom overton he talked about how you know why would you deal with your trauma um, cause he, we were talking with he and, he and his wife and she was sharing some of her stuff. And he said, essentially he joked, it was a leading question. He's like, essentially it's that we want to work on the relationships in our life and uh, our attachments. And if those are being, um, if we want to improve them, you know, if we're not happy with them or they're not healthy for us, then that might be something. Cause I've had people ask me, well, how do I know, you know, if I have something to work through and you alluded to that or with therapy. And I think that you know, hearing, you know, when we talk about trauma and things like that, people, if they don't know if they've had trauma, there's that fear of what if I uncover it. And then of course, for people carrying around trauma and it being this um, thing that is kept in this dark place, you know, that is just shoved away. There's the fear of opening it up. And, you know, as you said, it's, it's the work is hard, but it's worth it. And for the healing to come. And so when you said, like, I'm here to say like, I went through this and I'm living a full life now. And so I appreciate that for the, for the hope. And so um, you went through this and I feel like, okay, today's conversation, we could go in so many different directions. Um, So in context of uh, the shame series of sex, you know, we've talked about boundaries with our partners, you know, so for today's uh, conversation, we'll kind of talk in the context of sex. Cause when you and I met before, I remember one thing you talked about was like, yeah, when you've had trauma, 
kind of screws up your sex life. You know, this thing that when we think of um, sex in the city, I mean, we meaning probably, you know, people in their 35 plus or whatever, if you watch sex in the city, it's like, it's just sex is glamorous, glamorous, lovely, lovely. Um, But we all have this baggage we carry around. And so kind of for today's context, you know, talking about how the trauma has shown up for you. Um, And like I said, people may be experiencing this too. I just want to give a reminder too, that it doesn't mean you've had to have your trauma to have these experiences because trauma, another guest, you know, shared trauma is anything that happens that your body cannot process. And so one thing with therapy, you know, you talked about going into a session, like, I don't even have anything to talk about. And then you leave in tears. I'm like, yep, guilty, guilty as charged. And I've found myself, you know, being crying about things and then having this feeling of, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, I shouldn't Mm -hmm. even be upset over this. And thanks to the work of awesome therapists and coaches, you know, it's validating like whatever your experience is. So like, I don't share my story for people to feel bad for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I can't remember who I heard this from originally, but they were like, it's not the trauma Olympics. Mm -hmm. Like we're not trying to win gold for the human that like has the worst or the most trauma. Anyone can have trauma from a variety of things. Um, Mine happens to be pretty large, pretty severe. um, But that doesn't mean that someone who lost their virginity earlier than they wanted to doesn't have trauma around that. Um, Or, you know, if a pet has died or a parent or any, any of those things are all trauma. Um, And you don't have to have been kidnapped and assaulted to have trauma. Yeah. But sometimes that's unfortunate reality and it is just the, well, it's just f-ed up is what it is. That's yeah. just, you know, yes, yes. there's, there's no not that I need to validate it. it, but it's just, it's a lot. And, you know, that's, and that, and I said earlier, you know, for me, it's like having these moments with friends and seeing them go through the healing and thrive and then experiencing my own. It's like, I think giving people hope that like, if, you know, whether it is, you know, a similar story to yours or anything that like, you can come back from this, like, like you said, it's a new normal. So we're going to jump into kind of the new normal. Um, So, you know, let's start with kind of like, how has this shown up kind of in your, in your life to kind of specifically with like romantic relationships, potential romantic relationships. Um, I am, like I said, I'm very upfront about what happened to me because I know that it affects my everyday life and how I act and how I react. Um, and so I can't tell you the amount of potential partners that I've, you know, met in real life, met on dating apps, anything like that. Um, I feel like everything's going great. And then I disclose this. Um, I don't give my whole full out story to everyone, but those people that I feel like I can trust and talk to about it, I will. Otherwise I just kind of give a a shortened version. Um, And I can't tell you the amount of people that instantly are just like gone and are no longer Mm -hmm. interested in me and are no longer wanting to pursue anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has, it took a really long time for me to realize that that's not about me and that's that they can't carry that and that they can't 
um, work through that in their own mind. Um, and so that has happened plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also, you know, happened with individuals that I've, um, been seeing for a plethora of time, um, or individuals that I'm, you know, let's be honest. I've had plenty of one night stands in my life. Um, if you haven't, then you're not better than me. You just chose a different way at going about your sex life. That's how I feel. So, you know, there's been plenty of one night encounters that have been fine and like no strings attached. Great. Um, and it's very interesting. Like when I think about it right now, a lot of these triggers around my assault only have happened in instances of someone that I like either am settled down with or like am moving towards settling down with. Um, and I guess I've never noticed that before that that's the time that these triggers come out. Um, and if I had to guess, which I have a therapy appointment tomorrow, thank goodness for this. Um, if I had to guess, it would probably be because I'm like starting to get into that comfortable, relaxed phase with them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is when my trauma happened. Yeah. Um, right. I was, I had been in a relationship with this human for um, over two years. Um, and we had recently um, a few months prior broken up. Um, and so I think it's probably that I find myself getting into that position of like, Oh, like this is a human I really like settling down, yeah. being with one human. Um, and then these triggers come up of my body being like, wait, remember yeah. last time we did this? Remember yeah. that was not a great idea. It didn't end very well. We're still a little freaked out about it. Nope. Um, and one time that I had, I don't have a lot of triggers in the bedroom mm-hmm. necessarily. Like I haven't had a lot of instances where like mid sex, I'm like, Ooh, like, yeah freaking out. Um, a lot of that happens like pre or post. Mm. Um, and, but one time it happened during it, um, I'd been talking to this guy I was seeing, um, about mom trigger warning. If you're listening, cover your ears. Fast forward. Yeah. Fast forward. Fast forward through the next part, mom, (laughs) um, and dad and sister. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, and we had been talking about how, like I didn't really understand people's like enjoyment of oral sex. It's just never been that exciting for me. Um, and he was like, Oh, well, I'm really good at it. Right. Like classic white man thinking he's really good at sex. Like, let's just say that. Hello, patriarchy. Um, and so next time we were hooking up, he was like, I'm going to go down on you. It's going to be great. And I'm like, okay, I will give it an open mind. So he goes down on me. I get close to climax and my body like freaks. And so I tried to like push him away and like get like squirm out of the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. But instead of letting me get away, he just clamped down harder on my legs and I couldn't get out and I lost it, mm-hmm. like lost it um, because I was just instantly back mm-hmm. in 
that field being held down mm. and like not being able to get away. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm a fairly petite human. Like I'm 120, mm. five, five. Uh, I'm fairly easy to like hold down and I'm not very strong. Yeah. My sister is like a power lifter. Like she's so strong and so powerful. And I'm just like measly can't do anything. Um, and I just remember like in that moment, like my heart was like, I'm literally my heart starting to race. And I'm getting all sweaty yeah. now, just yeah. like thinking back about it of like feeling that trapped feeling again. Yeah. And I had slept with many people in between my assault and this yeah. instance. Um, and that was the first time of like mm. being, feeling like I was back in trap. Yeah. Trapped, um, yeah. And I like, I remember just like really pushing him and um, like telling him like, stop, stop, stop. This is not okay. Like I'm freaking out. Mm -hmm. Um, And he finally did. And I like, I was like, I explained to him, right? Like I apologized because story of my life again, apologizing all the time for my trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, I'm so sorry. Like you didn't do anything. I just like felt restricted and like made me feel like I was back in that situation which he knew about well then he felt bad yeah thank goodness um but instead of like handling it in a great way um he just like ghosted me yeah never talked to me again um and it was really hard it was Mm -hmm. that was a hard moment of me being like I really liked this guy but that's how he's gonna react to my trauma yeah. And like not respect it and not like want to talk through it. Like that was a not great experience of when I've yeah. been triggered. And then it has me shame spiraling about the fact that like I am broken or mm-hmm. like I'm not, I am never going to be able to like find a partner that will sit with me through this. And, um, and it was really, really hard. Um, and then I fast forward to the partner that I'm currently with. And when we first went on our, like we went on multiple dates in the first like week that we met, we got set up on a blind date by his sister-in-law. Um, and I really liked him, but he wouldn't kiss me. And I'm like, am I being friend zoned? What's happening here? I don't understand. And so then finally, like week and a half, week later um he finally late one night I was like falling asleep mid-conversation and he was like he like asked like can I kiss you and I was like yeah uh, yes finally yes. right and then like kissed him and fell asleep or whatever and I remember bringing it up to him a long while after and just being like oh my god it, you took forever to tell me to like kiss me and um he was like, well, yeah, I didn't want you to feel pressured to like, I knew you had sexual trauma in your past and I didn't want you to feel pressured to have any sort of sexual relationship with me before you were ready. Um, or I never, like, I just never want to put you in a position where you feel pressured that you have to do something. And he's like, so I just wanted to like, wait it out and see but then you weren't making any moves either so I just thought to go for it and I was like oh I was over here thinking like you didn't really like me or like you were friend zoning me because you weren't kissing me but like really you were just like 
being a respectful human and like taking my trauma into account and not yeah. wanting to trigger me or like we're yeah. a little worried about what that would be like and didn't want it to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's like the two main instances of like handling sexual yeah. trauma in very different manners Yes. Um, by two different partners. And that was really interesting um, to think back on like, oh, one of these was a great idea. And one of these was not my greatest yes. idea. Yes. But, you know, and also the thing is you didn't know until you were in it, you know, like mm-hmm. um, Ashley Grubbs, who we, you know, did another sex uh, series episode with, she talked about communicating all of this stuff. She said, you have to talk about sex before you should have the sex. Yep. There's such a stigma and a shame put around sex in general. And then as a human who has sexual trauma, not even just trauma, sexual trauma, I feel like there's this additional, I don't know if pressure is the right right word or shame is the right word, but there's this additional level of stuff around the bedroom. Yeah. Um, And like, I remember when I first was like wanting to maybe try some non-vanilla sex things in the bedroom, I was like, that sounds interesting, but I have sexual trauma and I don't want to trigger it. So I don't even want to attempt the things. Yeah. Like I don't even want to see if I'm into that, even though I think I probably am into that because Mm -hmm. I don't want to freak out mid sex again, Mm -hmm. like I have and have my partner also freak out and ruin our sex life. So how Um, did you go down that road? Because I talked before, um, one of my questions kind of not with trauma, but I think just because of our own sex stories and our own shame Mm -hmm. around sex, no matter what our history is, that if we have this shame with sex, it's like doing anything. I love how you said it, like not vanilla. It feels um, like, I know for me, just having um, walking through, you know, sexual abuse and trauma and as you said before, sex being used as a way to control and manipulate. And so I struggle personally with just this, like, Oh, like just shut it all down, shut it all down. (laughs) This is so broken. Let's just not Um, even, I don't even want to go there. Could everyone just not do do this? Um, but that's when my trauma is starting to show up, you know? And so, you know, how did you start navigating that and work with your assault trauma and all of that? Yeah. It, I mean, it's still something that I'm working on. Right. Yeah. Um, I had plenty of conversations with my therapist about it. Yeah. Um, and I think in my head, I was like, well, okay, this is going to sound very blunt and I don't know how else to say it. Um, in my head, I had this thought of like, well, if I like rough sex, mm-hmm that's what rape is, right? Mm-hmm. Like some, t- some people in the world see rape as just rough sex. She mm-hmm. was asking for it, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, if I like rough, rough sex, does that mean that I was asking for my rape? Because mm-hmm. that's what I liked. Mm-hmm. 
or like that's like it's this weird situation of like liking that but also knowing that my assault was not what yeah. I liked but that's where it gets exactly that's, and where, it, it that's gets, where it gets all so, jumbled up and mm-hmm. I think that's why you know it's just oh I can't speak to your story but just with so many things it's like keeping it in a box because it's like yeah I don't want to if yeah. I if I step a foot here that could yeah just it's entangled yeah. and I just I just always thought that I was gonna be in a relationship where I could never be sexually attracted to my partner or mm. would lose my sexual attraction after a little while. Um, and because I was broken yeah. and right. And because I had this experience in my past and like, couldn't process, couldn't deal with it. Couldn't whatever. Um, yeah. and I've been in relationships where like after a few months, I'm no longer sexually attracted to this person. And like, mm. do I love them? Do I care about them? Yes. Yeah. But I, I don't ever care about having sex with them again. And is that and, something you talked about with your therapist? Like, is that connected yeah part of it yeah yeah Yeah. it's a it's a very strange situation of like a lot of people can lose their sexual intimacy drive yeah and just be okay with it and think that that's how they have to do life now and I worked with my therapist a lot around that because I didn't want that to happen continuously Mm -hmm. And that was when I really started digging into this idea of feeling like all I can offer is sex Mm. and Mm -hmm. feeling like that's the only thing keeping people around. And so it got to this point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to continually feel like I'm just here for sex and not getting anything outside of the relationship. And like, I, I mean, because of my trauma, I am a very needy bitch in terms of words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. Like I need you to tell me you love me all the time forever. And every second, because I'm afraid you're going to leave. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be alone. Yeah. And that's been a whole other interesting thing to have to figure out how to get from partners that aren't good at words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what this at all boiled down to is like, I was just giving sex, giving sex, giving sex, giving Mm -hmm. sex, because that's how I thought I could make someone stay with me. And Mm. then when the person was going to stay and I realized I didn't have to give this sex anymore. I was like, Oh, well, they're going to stay. I don't have to give it anymore. And I was like, it's because I wasn't liking it in the first place. Yeah. I wasn't yep. doing it for the right reasons doing it. Huh? <laughs> so you want, and you end up there. Sex joke, sex Good joke. One. Um, yeah. So I, I like wasn't doing it for the right reasons in the yeah. first place. I was doing it to try to like, I almost think keep of it safe. as like, well, it's like yeah. trying to keep yourself safe. Like you, you wanted them to stay. Yeah. And so. That I'm like, the- I'm doing the things to get them to stay. I'm doing the things to get them to stay. Yeah. Then it was gone. And I was like, okay, great. I don't have to do this anymore. And I never wanted to again, yeah. but then it had me being like, 
oh, well, now I don't want to have sex with my partner who are like, you're supposed to want to have sex with. And like, I have no attraction or like intimacy with really. And would like be fine if we never had sex again, even though by nature, I'm a very sexual human and I've always liked sex. Yeah. And so that was a very weird um, conundrum of a lot of conversations in therapy. Um, now was that the most, like, was there something that kind of helped you not, well, I don't know how to say, you know, the turning point at which you said, yeah, I really do want to, to dig into this with therapy. Was it around that kind of stuff or it was around? Yeah. So it was kind of a plethora, um, of things that led me to actually start therapy. So that was one of them. Um, and I was actually engaged at the time, um, to this human and, um, I had gone off to a uh, event and there was like a guy that was hitting on me. And I was like, wow, I want this man to take me on a date and take me home. And right. Like having all these thoughts. And so I brought them back to my partner at the time and was like, Hey, like clearly something is not fitting here. Like Mm. it's totally fine. And I'm not going to tell anyone that they can't like fantasize about another person because I'm not here to shame anyone sexually ever. Um, but that was just a, a moment for me to be like, oh, something's not right. Right. It reawakened like, that part of you. And so yeah, I was like, yes, it was very yeah. much like, oh, yeah, I am a sexual human being. And like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I do want this. But like, why don't I want this at home? You are not the first person to have a feeling and and whether it's a sexual related thing or not, like, and like I said, I'm not even talking about fantasies or anything. I'm just talking yeah. about like a, a, we'll call it a red-ish flag because I would. I would almost say it's a green flag because it was a sign of healing needing to happen. But, you know, how often do we have those things, but then we push them back down. So Mm -hmm. where, you know, what do you, what was it about that time that I really think it's the courage, like what gave you the courage to actually say, this is something I'm not going to keep just pushing this away. Well, I didn't, to be fairly honest, I didn't want to go to therapy because broken people went to therapy and I have worked my entire life. I've worked my entire life. Ask anyone that knows me very well, um, to seem very put together. Mm -hmm. And I've actually talked to my therapist about how weird it is that I am willing to show people my trauma and show people my grief and show people the messy parts of my life Mm -hmm. on social media, but I want to seem put together all the time. And my therapist is like, well, you get to control the narrative. If you're the one putting it out, you get to control how people are seeing it and looking at it and perceiving it. You are preaching and to the you, choir, sister. You are preaching yeah. to the choir. It was wild. So I, I didn't want to go to therapy at all. I was like, no, thank you. Um, and my partner at the time was like, like basically in a nice, in a nice way was like, yeah. you're fucked up from the things that have happened in your life. You need to talk to someone. And I was like, no, 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 no. And he was like, no, seriously, like shit is really wrong with you. And like, you need to go to therapy. And then me being the person I am was like, well, if I need to go to therapy, your ass needs to go to therapy. Right. I'm like, Mm -hmm. everybody's going therapy for everyone. I'm not going to be the only one in therapy. Um, And so I made him a promise that was like, if you go to therapy, I will go to therapy. And I remember showing up at my very first therapy appointment sitting on the couch and telling my therapist at the time, I have a new one now, um, telling my therapist, 
I don't know if I will come back next week. And she was like, that's fine. And I was like, I had to bribe myself to get here. I promised myself that if I showed up and I stayed the entire time, I could go get a Dutch bros coffee. Like, all right. And that's what it was. The first ah, two, three, four, five months of therapy was me bribing Mm -hmm. myself with things that I like to show up and to talk to this woman. And she was wonderful. And she was so good at her job. Um, That's not always the case for people that look for therapists. So if you have a shitty therapist, find a new one friends, because there are great therapists out there. Yes. Um, She was so great. And like, I just remember sitting in that first therapy appointment and being like, well, I'm here to talk to you about my current relationship. And then her being like, okay, tell me about it. And me like talking about it. And then her being like, well, on your intake form, you also checked the box for like sexual assault and you checked the box for like parent issues and you check the box for whatever, like, tell me about that. And I was like, oh, well, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to talk to you about any of that. I'm here to talk to you about my current relationship. Just fix this one problem. My, Just yeah. yeah. I'm like, no, 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 we're not. That is behind the curtain in Oz. We are not looking yes. behind the curtain people. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not here to talk to you about my abandonment issues with my dad or my kidnapping and assault or this or that. Right. Like, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you about my eating disorder and my self-harm and my this and my that. And she was like, okay, yeah, we definitely don't have to talk about those things. And then I would talk about something in my relationship. And she's like, do you think that this could maybe be because of X, Y, Z from my past? And I was like, I've got to open Pandora's box, don't I? And I just remember being in one of my therapy appointments and being like, I'm way more up than I thought. I'm way more up than I thought. All right. Speak to that because as we're kind of wrapping up, I feel like we're opening a whole new box of worms, which is in a good way, in a good way though. Um, I think that's one of the biggest, I mean, I know for me here, I started a podcast to encourage people for healing and growth and all this stuff, but you know, I was doing it to help other people. Yeah. Not yourself. Absolutely like you guys, not. it's fine. Like I'm totally for fine. You. It's for you. For you guys. Yeah. It's for You're everybody welcome. else. <laughs> it's for you. I'm really great. You're welcome. Everyone else should go to therapy, but I worked out all my own stuff. Yeah. And so I'm totally, I'm fine. totally fine. I worked um, it out in a journal. Yeah. I just I like, one I talked to a few okay. people and then I'm good. Um, and yeah. then my husband started therapy and it was amazing. And I was like, no, I'm good. I have all these people. I yeah. work it out. And then I started therapy and I'm like, oh shit, this is why I've been saying like, I yeah. knew I believed yeah. it, but now I actually believe it. But I'll be honest, you know, for me, there was that part. And like, this is where it's like, we're kind of segueing, but it's a good, <laughs> we got we have to fit this in though, is I think there's just this huge fear of, you know, if, and we'll keep it on the sex topic. It's like, if someone is having some issues with sex in their marriage, it's like, but if I go to therapy, it might unlock something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. It might unlock something that I remember that I'm trying to forget, or it might take me down Pandora's box or we might open Pandora's box. And so that is something that I did not vocalize to people, but that I knew internally for me was like, I, and I mean, I did say this to my husband and my close friends, as I said, you know, I am keeping my shit together. It is like, I've got it. Like you said, I'm controlling the narrative that there is this, yes. It's like the floodgates could open. Oh, (sighs) and boy, do they open. 
And so, but it's like, now I'm seeing, oh my gosh, though, like, you know, my husband, and I talk a lot about like, I would not go back to like the marriage we had before. Like I would much rather yeah. have, even though yeah. with our trauma and all of our shit, it's like, okay, this is really hard and I would never have chosen it, but thank God for the healing that comes from all of it. So, I mean, that's oh, my yeah. personal take on it, but for you with you, with your background, um, you know, for people that are kind of on that edge, like I said earlier, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And I sat in so many therapy appointments and then I would go and I would sit in my car and I would cry for another 20 minutes till I could get mm-hmm. it together enough to like actually drive home. And I just remember so many times sitting in my car being like, add it to the list, add that to the list of things I'm up about mm-hmm. or things I'm whatever about or things that I thought were fine that are apparently not fine. And I just remember thinking I'm insane. Mm-hmm. I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, I am so much more broken than mm-hmm. I ever thought I was because I had just shoved and shoved and shoved and shoved and shoved and shoved and shoved. And, shoved. and it was almost like, I think of therapy now kind of as almost like a pressure valve. Like I was this pressure cooker shoving yes. everything in and putting the lid on and it was intense and it was intense. And occasionally I would have a blow up and I would fall down and then it would build back up again. It would build back Mm -hmm. up. And now I have therapy where I get to go and like open the pressure valve a bit and it lets out the pressure in a nice and calm way. And then I get to come back to my partner and be like, well, therapy today, I talked about this or like therapy, I talked about that. And one of the things that was hardest for me in therapy was talking about my assault and talking about how even after it happened, I cared so much about this individual that I didn't tell the truth about all the things that happened. Like I have these vivid, vivid memories Mm -hmm. of things that happened during that night. Um, and I actually have, uh, I, don't, I don't know where it is now, but um, my dad's a police officer, like I mentioned earlier. And so I got home that night. Um, I was too afraid to go into my own house. I went next door. My neighbor at the time was a bartender. She had just gotten home um, and I saw her light was on and I went over and I knocked on her door and she let me in. I was in like a t-shirt and shorts. It was the middle, it was Montana in May, like still cold. Um, and I remember her coming home and waking up my parents. And right away that night, my dad gave me a piece of paper and was like, I need you to write down everything that happened tonight. Even if it was a cuss word or a bad thing or a whatever, I need you to write it all down. He's like, just get out whatever you can. And so years later in therapy, my therapist was like, do you think you could get a copy of that? Cause I remember sitting in the chair, writing yeah. this down. Yeah. And I remember hearing someone come into my house. I'm fairly certain my dad had called one of the officers on duty. Um, I remember someone coming into my house. I like can hear it in my peripheral, but I just remember like writing this note and sitting in this chair. Yeah. And my therapist was like, could you get that? Like, I think we should look at it. Yeah. And so we got it and I read it and there's so much shit that's not in there. And so then I started being like, am I 
crazy? Yes. Did I, did I make this up? Like eh, what? And, and my, I had to work a lot with my therapist on like, you were protecting him by not including things in the note. And you were still doing that. And it was wild. I mean, like days later, my parents are like handling all the things for the the restraint and stuff. But you want to talk about shame around sex. My parents found out I was having sex because they needed to know whether or not I had had sex prior Mm -hmm. to figure out what they could charge him with. So I remember sitting in my computer lab at my high school, getting a text from my mom that said, have you and this human had sex before? And I never answered. I just did, like didn't text back. Yeah. And because I was so embarrassed, like, yeah, I don't want my parents to know that I'm having sex. Like, well, right. Yeah. And yeah. then she responded a little while later and just said, I'll take that as a yes. So like, that's how my parents found out I was a sexually active human. So like, Mm -hmm. you want to talk about shame around sex, that right there was like how they found out. And I was like, incredibly embarrassed. Yeah. And it just like therapy will uncover things that you don't think are a problem, but without it, without therapy, I know I can say without a doubt, I would not be able to be in as healthy of a relationship as I am in now, I would not be able to have as healthy of a sex life as I have now. I would not be able to have as healthy of a body image as I do now. I mean, that's not to say that I'm perfect at it every day. Yeah. Like I still have plenty of days where I'm like, Ooh, I'm real depressed today. I call my depression, Pam. (laughs) This is the thing my therapist had me do was to name my depressive thoughts And I was like, I'm not schizophrenic. What are you talking about? Right. Like, I'm not going to do this. And she was like, no, I think it will really help you realize that like you are not your depression. Yes. Um, Yeah. It's a, it's a separate thing. And so I, I named mine Pam, which is really funny because the only Pam I know is like my high school, middle school crushes mom. And she's like the most precious human of my entire life. So I don't know why that was the name, but um, it's been a great tool now to like, on days where I'm really depressed, I can tell my partner like, Hey, Pam's here today. Right. Like Pam's here. And then he knows like, Oh, her, her brain's being real mean. And I need to say extra nice things. Or I need to tell Pam to get lost because she's not telling the truth right now. Yeah. Like Pam does her best. Pam like is trying to keep me safe. She's just like doing it in a not great way. Yeah. Um, and that, that's all the things that I've had to work on and work through. And, and that's just like on top of all the shame and stigma and like sexual tension and trauma yeah. around my assault and still wanting to be a sexual human being. Yeah. And you said a few times, you know, how you're still working on it. And one thing I've learned through these conversations too, is that it never stops. It doesn't matter no. whether you're in a new relationship or a two years in 20 years in, 50 years in, I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. this is constantly going to be talking about. And I think the other overwhelming thing I heard from you is that, you know, with all this sex stuff, we'll just call it is the other, you know, it's in our conversation and other conversations is 
communication. Like, and it just has, it's such a thing that is not normalized. You know, of course it's like, yes, fast forward through these parts that we're talking about. It's awkward. Yeah, right. I'm like, no, um, which is why, you know, don't worry people listening. Not everyone needs to talk about it publicly, but, um, just normalizing the conversations and being able to talk about these things, you know, and especially with our partners and safe people. And so um, I just appreciate you sharing, you know, your story and your journey. And I'm, I love that you have able, you know, been able to just, of course, find happiness in your life and show that it's, you know, the theme, I feel like that should be the new podcast thing. It's like the work is hard, but it's worth it. That's like, should be the tagline. tagline. Um, So as we close out, is there anything you would want to share that, um, you know, we didn't touch on today that you would want people to know? I think, um, in terms of the talk about sex and shame and triggers and all these things, um, good sex can't happen until you learn to love yourself Mm. and until you learn what your body likes and what your body doesn't like. And that is not a shameful thing. And I think, um, I don't know the demographics of who listens to this podcast, but um, I think a lot of time as women Mm -hmm. um, or non-binary individuals, we are taught that our sex and our pleasure is not um, important. Mm -hmm. And we're taught by society that it's, a man's pleasure is the most important thing. And that's just not true. Uh, It's not true. We're just as important. Um, And let's be honest, I think a lot of households would fall apart if we weren't holding them together. Um, And so you deserve to have love and be loved the way that you want to. And if that means having uncomfortable conversations, then you need to do it. Um, And those conversations will get easier over time. Um, and talk to your kids about sex, even if you don't want to talk to your kids about what's okay, what's not okay with their bodies, with someone else's body. Um, don't just think someone else will teach them because that someone else will be porn on the internet that then doesn't always teach the best messages. So that's, um, that's, I think the things that I would love people to take out of this. Um, if you're listening and you've gone through something similar or you need someone to talk to, um, you can find me, um, on social media, uh, my Instagram handle, I need to double check it. So I don't tell you the wrong thing, um, is K Flato F L A T O W zero nine. Um, feel free to send me a DM. Um, and I am here to tell you that you are not dealing with it. You are learning, you are growing and that there is happiness on the other side somewhere. You just have to find it. Beautiful. Amazing Kira. Thank you so much. You shared so many good truths and I um, just thank you for your story. And I'm so glad to be uh, connected and to know you and you're amazing. You're so very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle where we explore growth and healing through vulnerable conversation. Our hope is that you feel seen and find tools for growing resiliency and tackling your own growth and healing. Be sure to subscribe and check out the VIPs and other resources at samanthaspittle.com. 
This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard.